0: You're listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio, only here,
1: lastwordonsports.com.
0: What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here at Last Word on Sports. It is the afternoon of Tuesday, November 29th, 2022, and the United States national team has just beaten Iran 1-0 to advance to the round of 16 of the FIFA World Cup 2022 in Qatar. Here to talk about all of those things and many other things, Sean Garmer and Edward Vento. Sean, how are you?
2: Ah, uh, feeling so relieved after this victory.
0: And <laughs> is there an equal amount of relief or did you secretly believe the whole time and there was actually no stress this whole day?
1: I would be yeah. a big liar if I said there was no stress. There was there was a lot of stress. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, let's get into it. I guess first of all guys, um Last word on sports is not the platform for understanding the geopolitics or where that can sometimes intersect with sports and everything. Um, Guys, do we want to briefly touch on over the weekend, the United States men's national team social media platform um, on social media and on their website um, removed a symbol within the Iranian flag that caused a dust up and led to the postgame press, the preview press conference with Greg Berhalter and Captain Tyler Adams to turn in a massive geopolitical swing. I, you know, the players had nothing to do with the decision by the I don't know if this is social media staffers. I'm not sure who actually decided to remove the symbol from the Iran flag within U.S. Soccer's social media and website stuff. But so that happened. That was the decision that was made in support of the women and protesting for human rights in the country. The players had nothing to do with that decision. That was later deleted after some backlash on social media. And that led to the press conference yesterday at time of recording prior to the game where it Got very very tense, and it got a lot into politics, and there was a lot asked and expected by Iranian journalists on the geopolitical level. At one point, Greg Burhalter got asked about what he had done to interact with the U.S. government to re- have a naval warship of the United States moved away from Iran. At one point, Tyler Adams mispronounce- mispronounces the name of the country, gets corrected by a journalist in a way that was understandable, but had a tone of had had tone of. Ah, uh, judgment in there. Tyler Adams then gives a very carefully worded and very mature answer on what it's like living in and then playing for a national team in a country that still has racism present in it. I don't know that that affected the tensions and the intensity of the game because I think ultimately it was about trying to get a result. And that was the most important thing that all the players on the pitch were ultimately um looking for, and that superseded whatever geopolitical implications this game did or did not have. Ed, is there anything you want to say about that?
1: Um, I think, you know, for the most part, the players and Greg handled that extremely well. I was very impressed with their ability to stay composed in those press conferences. I know what the journalists were trying to do. You know, they're trying to make it about anything but the game, get someone to say the wrong thing, maybe get someone to face backlash on Twitter and then it's in their head during the game, like, oh, I said this, I shouldn't have said this, and then get the U.S. thinking about anything but the game. And I think that especially Tyler Adams, you know, when he mispronounced the name and apologized for it and then answered the question with such class, I think was was really nice to see. And, and I'm someone who, if Greg Berhalter does something wrong, I am the first one to criticize him. I am no Greg Berhalter apologist, but I think it was unfair the way they were asking him questions. I think he handled it really well, and I was proud to see that. But, you know, I I, I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to get in our heads and make it about anything but the game. Sean,
0: anything you want to say about this? I think it's I think it's understandable some of the reactions, but the fact that a decision that was made by someone within U.S. soccer without consulting the players and then they were the face of that. You know, I think it's one thing if you're asking a senator to do that. But I don't know that like by that same logic, someone on Center interviews LeBron live after a Lakers game and says, why aren't you doing more to bring Brittany Griner home from from Russia? What did you make of that? And did the Iranian journalists on some level lose the plot?
2: Well, I think Edward hit it right on the head. It was much more about trying to make this something that it's not. Uh, I think also they know that the player, the Iranian players themselves are more in favor of the protest than they are against it. So I think they were trying to sort of make this a thing of a reminder that, you know, this logo that you took off is, is part of the regime. That's the, you know, the one, the rulers right now, they're the most important. we are trying to make some kind of statement that we're not okay with, trying to see if it would rile up their players as well. And they kind of forget that they're having to bring threats to their own players to sing the national anthem because they don't want to, because they're also sort of striking against uh, that same regime. So uh, I think credit to Greg Berhalter, credit to Tyler Adams for answering the way they did. Um, What a tremendous answer by Tyler Adams to have something thrown against him. To kind of like, oh, we're throwing shade at you. What are you going to say? And he says just such wonderful words to kind of slap him back like, oh, you wanted me to say something else? This is what I have to say, you know, and I think uh, they didn't get what they wanted. It was just a game in the end. And that's what it was.
0: Well said. I should say, just to be clear, I think I can speak on behalf of the three of us as well as last word on sports and last word on soccer and last word on football as a whole. We support the protests that are going on. Human rights could be much, much improved in what's going on in Iran. And so if this is a question about the fervor and the respect for human rights, at least on our end, certainly that's not the case. And I think certainly the support and the thoughts are with the United States men's national team as well. Um, And then just to maybe correct myself or add a little bit of detail, the symbol is known as the emblem of Iran. And if Google's correct on here, it says that it's supposed to represent a tulip. So the four curved... Uh, lines are supposed to be the tulip um, petals and then there's one stem in the middle as well Um, and that is uh, has been there since the 1979 Iranian revolution so that was the symbol that was removed from the middle of the Iranian flag guys let's get to the actual game itself we'll start as we did previously talking about lineups Ed I'll go to you first only two changes Josh Sargent in for Haji Wright and then at the back, it was Cameron Carter-Vickers at center back. Your thoughts on those two changes and what we also made of maybe who wasn't starting?
1: Well, I think the big the big one was Carter-Vickers. That came as a huge surprise to me when I saw that he wasn't in the lineup and making his, I, if I'm not mistaken, his first start in like a competitive game for the U.S. in a must-win game at the World Cup. That was a pretty shocking decision but he played pretty well. Um, I think Josh Sargent was the right call, and I'm just kind of surprised that it wasn't Ferreira and a certain a certain kid from Borussia Dortmund that did not even see the field. But I know we'll get to that later. But yeah, overall, it was about what I expected, but surprised about Carter Vickers for sure.
0: Uh, Sean, any thoughts on the lineup and any thoughts on what Iran did in there? I'd, I'd call it a pretty flat 4-4-1-1.
2: Uh, I mean I think Iran did they started the two up top that you expect, right? The two best players and you know, the rest is is what they were gonna do. I mean uh for the US they made the right changes. I feel like at least for up top, to has been their best striker. He proved it in this game as the two um I think you saw it when Haji Rai came on, which we'll talk about, what a lackluster performance from that his end. And Carter Vickers, I thought, for having his first start in such a meaningful game, played extremely well under those circumstances, considering how, aside from the one mistake against Wales, Walker tournament has been uh, tremendous. And, you know, the Bunn brothers have been what they are. So, you know, for him to, like, come in with such pressure and, and do that well, I think you have to commend him for that
0: absolutely it was a ballsy decision by greg burhalter and certainly a very good performance by ccv if you ask me so let's get to the actual first half folks uh Iran with the early kickoff and then they went a foul. then there's a set piece after that maybe a minute into the game and then after that i thought the u.s really settled in i liked the ball possession overall i thought tim ream and tyler adams were very cool in possession and trying to snuff out attacks. i thought ccv was a little bit too casual not casual is not the wrong word i apologize um was very very safe in what he he took a page out of the Carlos Bocanegra book of just simply win the ball back so that we can comfortably get it in possession. Don't try to do anything fancy with it. Worst case scenario, punt it out as well. That was very simple. Whether or not that was early game jitters the fact that he's in his first world cup qualifier well first world cup game as someone who's you know wasn't super involved in qualification but in any case it was very effective and i was here for it and then the u.s started probing a little bit more i thought iran did a very good job hunting in packs especially when the u.s tried to draw them out wide at times um Robinson and Desk got into good positions, but then were snuffed out. Was that them trying to do a little bit too much? I'm not sure. Was that very, very good defensive play by Iran? Um, possibly also as well. Um, a couple good opportunities, but again, kind of lacking the l- lacking the quality in the final third for me prior to the goal. Ed, your thoughts on how the US started the game?
1: I thought they started really well. Um, it was it went about how I was expecting it to go. Um you know, using the, the the wide areas. You know, the wings were the most effective point of attack for us. I thought Anthony Robinson and Dest were just fantastic. Yeah, in their runs, getting up, pushing up the field. I was watching with my roommate, and we were saying the the U.S. was essentially playing a like a two five three instead of a four four three with Destin Robinson playing as wingbacks. So I was I was pleased. You know, it went about how I expected dominating possession, like you said, creating all the chances and just Iran just defending for their lives.
0: Sean, your thoughts on the first half? Maybe was there something more that you wanted to see from the U.S. or was this just reflective? This team can't break down a low block. And, you know, is there was there more that you would have liked to have seen or something that they could have done differently given that?
2: Uh, I mean, I think for the team that you had, the starting 11 that you had, I think they did the best they could. I think there was a couple of times where Anthony Robinson does his thing that he tends to do, which he gets forward well, but he's bad at that last ball in or he's bad at losing the ball right when you need him to be there to make the cross. Or um, Des was better on that end, but he still had times where, like you said, I think he tried to do a little bit too much. And, but overall, they were creating chances. They were causing havoc. Um, they were unfortunate a few times to not be able to get the ball in where they wanted to uh, before the goal, obviously. Um, it felt at times where it was like, oh my God, the last thing you want is to repeat of the, you know, have an opposite of the Wales game. where You don't get that goal before the half and then who knows what's going to happen that second half, you know. Uh, so I think for the most part with actually, Iran's surprising and pressing at the first you know at, at the start. They were actually going for it in the first like fifteen minutes or so, and then they kind of sat back after the u s fought with them for a while. They sat back and then the u s was able to get more possession and do well. I think for the most part, they did what she expects, uh, but sure, would you have wanted a little more chances? I think that's where waya has proven to be such an important part of this team. He is the guy that gets them forward, pushes them. Most of all, was able to get through people and cause things to happen. He is so important. And anybody that thought he shouldn't be starting before this woke up, I think it's been completely wrong.
0: Absolutely. If I could give way, um, way again, got into good areas. You know, he had that shot over the crossbar, maybe 10, 15 minutes in that, you know, he got into really good areas and, if he hadn't scored that goal against Wales, I think we'd be maybe talking about his performance in the context of the group stage a little bit differently, but he got into really good areas. I guess my my main frustration is either one that he didn't finish his opportunities or that others weren't getting on those chances because for all the great work that Sargent's done in his, what, two, three appearances he's had in this game, he's had very little opportunities on goal. Most of that's been the lack of service towards him, and maybe I wanted Way to really just pass to Christian Pulisic so that he could score, but let's come on to it, guys. I thought... There was a very, very good foreshadowing of the goal on a recycled ball off of a corner, maybe five, 10 minutes before the goal where McKenny no looks it, tries to put it on for Dest and Dest isn't there and he can't catch up to it. And it goes out for a goal kick where they're recycling it. It comes to McKenny in the middle. He sees Dest making the run and then he pings that ball in. Dest is putting it in the mixer. And then it's just a matter of who's getting into it first. And Christian Pulisic finally gets his goal at the World Cup. Um, Not sure that he's fought any children anytime soon but absolutely fantastic play on this. uh you know sean what did you what did you make of the goal and what was your reaction to it
2: and it reminded me a lot of that one uh in the u.s against mexico that police scorpion comes on as a sub and gets the header it reminded me a lot of that goal except you know Dest is the one setting it up instead of way uh, i just I mean, tremendous like fortitude for him to know that he's going to run right into that goalkeeper, and he does not care. Might me mean, almost like a American football play. Just I know I'm going to get hit, but damn it, I'm going for this thing. And he just quacks it in with his his foot. Unfortunate for him, you know. It looks like he's going to be okay. At least that's what he's he's saying. But man, that what a release of tension for everybody and. It was a a great goal, like the way that everything was set up from where it came to to how it ended. I mean, that's the prototypical way you want to see uh, how the U.S. has improved in playing football now, as Carlos Quiro says, instead of soccer.
0: Ed, your thoughts on the goal, and then how much spiritually did you also feel pain upon seeing the replay and Christian Pulisic taking it in where the sun doesn't shine?
1: Yeah, uh, it was a excellent goal. The ball from McKenny to Dest was just mm, it was a chef's kiss of a ball from McKinney. And then Dest did really well to head that on, head it down to get it over towards Pulisic. And yeah, I mean, that's just a guy showing that he wants that he's willing to do anything for his country to win to 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 put that in the back of the net and take that hit. Um, I don't know if this is real or not. And But there's a picture circulating USMNT Twitter. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it's Pulisic in a hospital bed because they said he was taken to a hospital. And it says, it's like a Snapchat picture or something. It says, so blank, proud of my guys. I'll be ready Saturday. Don't worry. With a bunch of heart emojis. Now, I don't know if somebody fabricated that picture and created it on their own or if it's actually him, but Men in Blazers have posted it. ESPN have posted it. So it might actually be a real picture. but. Yeah, I definitely felt that pain. I I knew he wasn't going to be able to go much longer the minute I saw that replay and just the way he was walking and trying to get up. So I definitely felt for him there, but he did what he needed to do, and he got the goal
0: hmm. Absolutely. So let's come on to it afterwards, guys. You know, I know. saw. I think it was a pretty good screenshot of uh, it was a shot from the camera on the sidelines and Polisic was kind of jogging. And then he he like goes into the jog of like the I'm coming back into the game rather than I'm going onto the bench. And at least at the bar that I was at had a pretty big cheer on that. So, I mean, it was it was nice to see um, to your point. uh Ed, I think there's going to be some speculate until burhalter has his media availability on Friday and he gets asked whether or not Christian's available and then says definitively, yes or no, there's going to be some speculation on this. And so I think that if he ends up not being available for the Saturday game round of 16 against the Netherlands, I think it'll be a valid question. Did him playing on for the next, what, five, 10 minutes, whatever it was with all the stoppage time, um, you know, did that exacerbate things to the point where he's not available? We will never know at the time that it happens. But, you know, I think Christian Ballistic's is going to do everything he possibly can. Um, Saturday's set up to be the biggest game of his career, club, or country. And so I think he's going to do everything that he can to try and get into it. Um, Ed, I want to come to you. We've been talking about yellow cards and potential accumulation and Tyler Adams with, I think, a cynical cynical foul that ultimately cynically got called a yellow card um what were your thoughts on the officiating and Tyler Adams reaction to um how how that play went down
1: yeah in no world was that a yellow maybe <laughs> i'm looking at it with red white and blue colored glasses but um and Tyler's reaction to it was funny he was like that was a yellow or like trying to read his lips he was like yellow really and i agreed with him i did not i thought it was pretty soft um but And again, like we said, the refs have kind of been unfair for both. Uh, If I'm remembering correctly, I think there were some challenges that Iran got booked for that I was kind of like, yeah, he did a good job. Yeah, the Matt Turner one, I was like, Matt Turner did a good job selling that. So it was, you know, I I didn't think it was a yellow, but obviously I I can't change it. And it just kind of continues. The officiating has been a little shaky this World Cup, in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. I would say um that uh, I would say the officiating these last two games has a little bit more fair the the officials have understood the moment and the tension around it whereas obviously I think the Qatari referee that the United States had for their game against Wales just got yellow card happy a little bit too early and then kind of lost the plot and then it's like the well if I'm going to start calling basic fouls yellow cards then somebody's going to get sent off for a double yellow which doesn't seem particularly fair so I, I'll agree with you Ed I was I was unhappy with that call but on the whole of world cup officiating which can be mercurial and inconsistent and extremely frustrating on the whole i don't think that the united states has been jobbed. um and obviously correct me if i'm wrong no yellow card suspensions for the round of 16 um what happens if we end up going 120 on saturday morning against the dutch i think is a valid question but let's get on to it in the second half guys where obviously iran comes out and they know that they need a goal in order to come back into it and I think the U.S. kind of gradually I'd say against England they started in a shell gradually came out of it and then ultimately ended up in the shell when they realized getting the point was more important than risking the win and not getting it and then obviously it was a tale of two halves against um, Wales I think it was a little bit similar but in a way that was less frustrating because one I thought they defended overall better and they time wasted in ways that were effective and necessary and they did things in transition to try and create chances which in which they didn't against Wales. Sean, your thoughts on how Greg gradually had them be a little bit more conservative and then ultimately what I would call with Zimmerman coming on in five at the back, absolutely parking the bus.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I think uh, after those – after they weathered the storm a little bit and I think they they saw that the goal wasn't going to come, uh, you know, he got to remember that we also had that one with Wales that was barely outside. And that would have made things a lot more comfortable. Um, you know, I think he kind of had to go that route, start thinking about, look, is it is it better to go for? it? And then, you know, where the England game, it was like, oh, you could go for it. And if you lose, it's not the end of the world. But this game, they cannot score at all or that's it. So I can kind of understand his going total park the bus. I think he made the wrong substitutions. That's the problem. Uh, Shaq Moore should not play again in this World Cup. This dude, all he does is get the ball away. He looks nervous. He's not ready for it. Let Scally have a moment. You know, I think Yedlin, maybe he has more experience if you're going to go with him, but I think Scally should have his moment. If you if you need to bring dust off, let Scalley have his moment uh, against Netherlands. And I think he should have let Gio come in instead of Haji Wright because Haji Wright, he almost played like the El Salvador game where it looked like he'd been playing for 80 minutes instead of playing for 20. The dude could not run. Uh, You asked him to hold up the ball. He can't do that. He can't. uh, That one play that he had the opportunity to actually try to make a decent shot at goal. He couldn't do that. Just, I don't know. Uh, those were the two substitutions that kind of bothered me because Walker was perfect. He's exactly what she wanted him to do. He was heading every single ball. That dude was a beast. But I think he kind of failed in those two, which kind of leads you to wonder if that whole rift between him and Gio is real or not because if there was an opportunity to put someone on that could break a defense, cause something to happen, that was a moment for him, I feel like.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's go to the actual substitutions themselves. So I think I mentioned this earlier, but just to confirm it was Christian Pulisic off at halftime for Brennan Aronson I didn't have any complaints about that and I thought Aronson and kind of his crazy pressing structure actually excuse me, actually works for when he's playing up top and I felt guys, I don't know when I actually noticed this, so maybe it was from the beginning of the half. It felt like the US went 4-4-2 with Weah and Wright on the field. Once Wright was on the field and then With Sargent as well before, so potentially Aaronson was more in a wide role in a four man midfield rather than in a three man midfield. Uh, then in the 65th minute Halen Acosta in for Weston McKinney. No surprises there as Weston, you know, I still think is running out of gas late in these second halves. So whether or not that's due to him still carrying a knock, I'm not going to speculate on that, but some people have on that. And then it was Haji Wright in the 77th. 77th minute on for Josh Sargent and then has um as Sean just mentioned it was Walker Zimmerman on for Timothy Weah and then Shaq Moore on for Serginho Dest in the 82nd and those were the five U.S. subs that did switch to a five three-man backfield with the three center backs that we've seen in this tournament on the field and then Moore as the right wing back um Jedi Robinson as the right wing back and so I I'd, I'd call it a 5-3-2 if you ask me personally but um Ed what did you make of the subs what did you make of the timing of them given that we've criticized um given we criticized how late berhalter waits for it and if you're saving up that geo Reina rant now's the time for it sir Uh
1: yeah the minute as I saw the second half unfolding and the more we started to sit back I just I I accepted in my head I was like we're not gonna see Gio for a single minute this game because Gio is who you bring on if you need a goal and we clearly weren't playing like we needed a goal when uh when Brendan I thought Gio might be who came on for Christian just because you know we want that second goal we had the Timway a goal that I'm gonna be honest I still don't quite understand how it was offsides but that's beyond me um I thought Gio was gonna come on for Christian Pulisic, but he didn't. And you know what? When the Amazon behind-the-scenes documentary comes out once the World Cup is over, hopefully we learn what went down between Gio and Greg, because there's no reason for them for him not to play. But yeah, Sean, I, I agree. I, I don't think Shaq Moore should see the field again. I, I don't know what Joe Scally has to do to get a look, but yeah, uh, Shaq Moore can can keep the bench warm. Um, other than that, I didn't have an issue with any of the substitutes. I think Haji Wright coming on was more of just like a, we need to get somebody on the field because we want to keep Josh Sargent, um, you know, make sure his back is okay. Uh, that's how I interpreted it. And Haji Wright's bigger and with the way the game was going, was going to be more effective on getting balls out of the penalty area. So, and then, yeah, Acosta was no surprise. And then, we definitely switched into a five five three two. I agree with that. So, overall, the subs were like a C in my opinion. Could have been better, but didn't obviously didn't ruin the game.
0: Yeah. Um, let's come on to the chances that Iran actually did have there folks. There were a couple, there was the one in transition. Um, there was the curler at the back post that looked a little bit nervy. And then there was the, there was the one on the set piece with the diving header from the striker from Iran. I cannot remember whether or not that was, I think it was number nine. So I think it was Taremi, but it might, it might've been Osmond. I can't remember that, um, that he had that chance. I think looking back on it on replay, the angle was really tough. To where just getting it close to goal was an accomplishment. So I think that was that was scarier than it looked. And I think in reality, the Harry Kane chance at the end of stoppage time in the England game was certainly more uh, a closer call than ultimately that one has. But then the big one for me was the um the play for Walker Zimmerman in what? This would have been the 90th minute plus seven. So eighth minute of. Eighth minute of of the nine of the planned stoppage time when the ball comes through. There's a question about whether or not there's a hand on the shoulder from CCV and Iran wanted a penalty after the play was ultimately dead and the ball he the striker gets a touch on the ball, puts it through Matt Turner's legs and it just looks like it's slowly rolling towards the goal line and Walker Zimmerman clears it well before it actually gets there. But you look back on the replay from behind the goal and I've never seen Matt Turner like that. Oh crap! In his eyes, even for the revolution, for the United States, and any other play as well, that was certainly nervy. Um, Ed, your thoughts on how the USMT ultimately parked the bus? Walker Zimmerman's performance, and really outside of two or three really sequences, the fact that this wasn't Iran being the barnstorming team over the U.S. in the ways that the U.S. was in the first half.
1: Yeah, that that chance that kind of went through Matt Turner's legs. I was, I was, as I was watching it. In my head I was like, Oh my god, it's gonna slowly roll into the goal. Like this is really how we're gonna get knocked out. And then Zimmerman was there to clear it. And the penalty Toremi knew what he was doing. He went down so easy. He's a type of center forward that looks for plays like that. So tries to draw penalties, you know. He he's really good at things like that. So he definitely knew what he was doing, but that was never gonna be a penalty. I think the the rules out on the call said that would have been a really really soft penalty for uh for Iran to get there so ref did a good job with that it it was definitely nervy though the last especially stoppage time but really the last 10 minutes of regular time and then the 9 minutes plus the stoppage time felt like 10 years i mean and and we were doing our job and we were doing it well and we were clearing the ball when we could but it still it, it was just oh man, my heart was pounding. I meant to check the heart rate monitor on my watch, but I forgot.
0: Uh, Sean, what did you make of the final minutes and how the U S parked the bus and tried to manage and see out the games in ways that were certainly stressful. But I I think in the end, on some level, we got to give triple G his due that he had a plan and it worked. Even if we overthought it.
2: Yeah. Uh, I was having flashbacks of the Rob Green, Clint Dempsey go with England, like, oh, my God, this is going to happen to us here. And the Walker Zimmerman comes up and just boots that away. Uh, But, no, you know, obviously, look, nothing happened. Uh, And for the most part, I ran up uh, Iran other than that one one moment and then the header that, like, whisked away on the left side where you kind of see Turner diving at the last minute. And um, other than those two shots, everything that they were putting in was being headed away by Zimmerman or knocked away by the defenders or poor Musa had no legs and he was just going back and forth trying to keep things from happening. Uh, you know, give credit to everybody. They just sat there, they knew what they had to do, and they did it. And uh, that's a Remy thing was. That was never a foul. Uh, you could see Vickers just doesn't puts his hands up, you know, basically saying, yeah, I didn't touch the guy. So, and you can clearly see he doesn't touch them. He just clearly falls down, going for a flop. Uh, so, I'm glad the ref didn't buy it, because they were all over him. And I thought he was going to make the motion for the, the video, and I was like, holy crap, here we go. <laughs> Thank God he did not. So, credit to that referee for not allowing the crowd and, and the players to bully him into giving it a look, and VAR as well for not going after that, but you got to give credit to the guys. I mean, you saw Tyler Adams go to the floor after it was over and how much it meant to them to now have this moment. And I think against the Netherlands, you might have to rethink that, that, you know, that uh, philosophy, because that may not work with the attackers that they have compared to what Iran has.
0: Absolutely. Um So ultimately, guys, the U.S. does get through and achieves it, um, you know, and achieves the first step of what they were talking about. You know, the, the ultimate goal is to win the World Cup. We know that. Most probably the United States will not be winning the World Cup, but Ed so much of the rhetoric. Greg does a really good job about setting expectations with his rhetoric. And the first one that he talked about was, oh, what are reasonable expectations for um, you know, for the national team? And then he always says in an interview, you know, it's the really it's two competitions. It's get out of the group and then what do you do in the knockout stage? So the first step is to get out of the group. Your thought does simply getting out of the group is that an achievement for the United States? Is that mission accomplished? Is that me? Expectations. What do you make of how the U.S. got out of the group, and then what left needs to be achieved for you to consider this World Cup a success?
1: Well, it was a success in my heart the minute they kicked the ball in the first game. You know, after missing it four years ago, but I know that's that's not what anyone wants to hear. But for me personally, it was already a success. But yeah, I think getting out of the group was definitely the bare minimum. Now losing the Netherlands, there's no shame in that. So I think that you can consider this a successful World Cup for this team. We like to call it an unexperienced team, which it is. This was the youngest squad, the youngest starting eleven fielded at this tournament so far. I think it was like 24 years and 312 days or something, was the average age of the eleven, and they managed to get the win and get out of the group. I think, you know, it wasn't easy. But I think it's a success to be in the considered is one of the 16 best national teams currently playing. That's what this last 16 means. Uh, I think one win in the, if they win against Netherlands, it would be more than a success. So I definitely think it is already a success, just kind of giving casuals that belief again that this team can compete at the world cup. I think step one was getting out of the group and they accomplished that. Now let's see, you know, like Greg said, when we're on and we we can beat anyone when we're, when we're on and you know, when we're playing our best, we can beat anyone on any given day. And let's see if that rings true against Netherlands. I certainly think it could. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Sean, yes or no. Simply getting out of the group is success, Even if they will, will not say like seven nil, but let's say like a two nil, Loss and then never looking like the better team on Saturday against the Dutch. You know, does that, does this World Cup already a success for you? Yes or no?
2: Oh, yeah. Getting out of the screw stage, I mean, could it have been in a more comfortable way? Sure. If uh, you go through everything. But the fact that they have looked really good in all three games at many points. That already is success compared to the way that the U.S. has had to win or draw games in the past. Think about the position they were in in 2010, which is similar to this one. You had to take it all the way to that, you know, crazy goal by Landon Donovan at the end. You didn't have to do that here. Um, and, like, that's, that's already success. I think it, maybe not casuals, right, because they care more about, oh, we got to win by a bunch of goals and all that stuff. But I think as... U.S. soccer fans, I think we should be proud of the way that this team has played through these three group games. They have stood up against two British teams and played very extremely well. Um, and then you go into a game against the Netherlands, which is a team that you sh- you should expect that they're going to be better than you. But honestly, the way Netherlands did, the Netherlands have kind not of look really convincing at all in this, this tournament yet. So I think the U.S. has a chance to go up there and compete and look good and not get blasted 7 nothing or whatever, you know. As long as they perform well, it's all about how they go out. If they go out fighting, I think you're going to see the proverbial everybody being at the airport waiting for them, clapping and cheering and everything else because they did more than what a lot of people were expecting them to do. There were a lot of people that were saying, oh, they're going to get crashed out. They're too young. There's no experience. And so Look at that. They proved everybody wrong. Mm-hmm. And we can complain about until we want to, but accomplished
0: the goal right absolutely sean um i know this is i'm about to trigger a bunch of people who hate stats and i'm about to uh, get all the people who are obsessed with xg and on that but the u.s and international team once again xg merchants uh according to fat mob they had a 1.12 expected goals and iran had just 0.49 so technically the most probable Outcome: The most probable scoreline in this game was one nil to the United States. I'll I'll say this stuff on the top of that, Sean, because you know I think obviously results were the first thing. Because again, the the two most important things you could do to rectify the failure of failing to qualify for the 2018 World Cup was simply to qualify and then to get out of the group. There are people who still care about style points. There are areas where I think that's relevant, and there are sometimes where I'm just today was about the result more so than how you got it. The ugliest one nil win would have been better than anything that was stylistically, aesthetically pleasing to watch but ultimately did not get the result button but for the people who are obsessed with style who think that we have to in order for us to do something and be something greater as a national team we have to evolve from a personality standpoint i feel comfortable in saying that we were the better team in all three of these group stage games the it is more likely that we win two than i think we lose two and you know i said this about after the england game where i think it was far more likely at that point that the us had 6 points and the us had 0 points and very plausibly could have had 4 points rather than 2 and so i'm i'm not saying that i would have expected in the end the united states to win this group because England was already always going in focused on getting a win against Iran was the single most important result that they could get managing things against the U.S. And I I think England, no matter what, would have been able to see out and manage the scenarios to where unless the U.S. beat England, really, they had a plausible path to winning the group. But they were comfortably the better team in two of the three games. They, I feel confident in saying they were uh, the better team in three of those games. They played fun attacking soccer and it just so happened to be against teams that decided to be really conservative, decided to play negative football at times that limited their ability to bring us joy, to do things, to play the, you know, futsal, samba, aesthetically pleasing aspect of the game. I think now they've got a tremendous opportunity. Let's turn it now to the Netherlands folks where they ultimately got out of the group. They won their group, but at times didn't look super convincing, and they were—they are a team that seems too reliant on. One of you is going to have to help me with the pronunciation of their Dutch striker, who just has a very Dutch name, and I don't want to butcher that. Um, But so similar to England and similar to Wales, where they're focused around one player, that the U.S. if they can single him out and limit him from. Uh, being dangerous they can stymie a lot of what the dutch try to do in the attack and as we've seen with um uh, you know with van dyke and the war of wars that he's had in the media with a few old uh of the old national team players as well they are vulnerable at the back and they are vulnerable to the counter-attack and in that way I feel like this game is set up to be most like the England game which again I feel like the U.S. at their best against the best possible opponent they could play that is when they're at their best the opponent has the majority of the ball they're able to play in transition they're able to press make things miserable make things uncomfortable for them rather than what they ultimately had to do against Wales and Iran which is you know take a battering ram to breaking down a you know stymied you know def- very just stout defense with numbers behind the ball that really is their kryptonite and something Greg Berhalter struggled with. Um, Ed, you're going to be writing the preview for us on USA versus Netherlands. What have you seen from the Dutchmen in this tournament? What do you see in this game on Saturday morning?
1: Well, if I'm assuming you're thinking of Cody um, I'm I'm pretty sure it's the proper pronunciation is Hakpo. That's like how the Dutch would say. I think G has like a huff, like an H sound. So it would be like Cody Hakpo, but most people just say Gakpo. He's he's the man for them. Like he's he scored the lone goal against Ecuador. He scored the opener today. He scored the opener against Senegal, three goals in three games. Being able to limit him and and he's like a hybrid of winger center forward. He plays center forward for Netherlands, but At PSV, he operates on the wing a lot more. It's going to be keeping him out of dangerous areas, keeping him off the ball as much as possible. How do our defenders handle it when he's isolated with them? Because he's very quick and he has great footwork. So I think neutralizing him is going to be able to, is how we're going to be able to win this game. Um, And I do think it's possible. I think once you get, it's going to be. Can we make Memphis Depay beat us? And he's no slouch, but he's no Gakpo. Can we make some of the other players beat us? And and I think, like you said, not having to break down a low block and pick out like one pass that sets up a player is going to be very beneficial. We can play a lot more open against Netherlands. I think we have a better shot than a lot of people are giving us. I actually might predict us to win. I'm not going to tip my hand yet, but I might. Uh, so. It's, it's going to a lot of it's going to come down to Cody Gakpo and how we handle him, not saying he's a one man show. They do have a lot of good players. But as far as the attack goes, that's the key is neutralizing him.
0: Mm-hmm. Sean, what do you see in this Dutch? And, you know, is this uh, this doesn't on paper? This is not USA versus Germany in 2002. This is not USA versus Belgium in 2014. But I don't think there's any question where the underdogs in this game.
2: Well, I mean, I think you could take solace from the Ecuador game that they were probably also the underdogs and they were able to fight for a draw and it at several times look like they could get the win if they had you know, if they had somebody besides the Inter Valencia that you could not kind of screen out and try to make somebody else beat you and they really don't have anybody besides them and you saw it in the Senegal game today. But um I think Netherlands were able to be very fortunate to deal with the Senegal that kind of wasn't ready to play in that first game. Uh, and then they played guitar a little bit the in they were the worst team that's woke up. So let's see what happens when they, they, you know, face a team that's been on it, like the U.S. have uh, in that game. Uh, I think definitely you got to watch out not only for Gakro, but you got to worry about Dumfries or Dumfries. He's been a goal scorer as well. He's been uh, really good for them. Uh, I obviously defensively they are solid. They have tremendous players that we all know uh, but we can get through them. I think we can get in behind so I definitely think that U.S. has a shot and if you can control some of that midfield like they have I think that's a great move for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so Ed you said that you didn't want to do a preview so I will, I will leave it I will leave it listeners check back lastwordonfootball.com um for Ed's actual preview I will say that we will not advance so I'm, I'm not prepared yet I'm, I'm going to want to wait and see on the injury report whether or not Christian Pulisic is potentially unavailable I know also just Sargent had a little bit of a knock in this game but he seemed to be okay so I'm I'm hesitant to see based on the lineup and then based on what injury news that we get in the next couple um in in the next couple of days and whatever gets added to the inevitable Gio Reina versus Greg Berhalter 30 for 30, that's going to come out in like 25 years or something like that. But um, I will say, I just, I feel comfortable in saying that uh, the United States will not advance against the Netherlands, but uh, let's close it out um, here. Guys, I will ask you um, Greg Berhalter technically is not yet unemployed Ed, I'll throw it to you first. Yes or no. Does Greg Berhalter come back for the 2026 world cup cycle? No.
1: Um, I, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Elaborate. Uh, I, I just, you know, being, I don't want to say I'm clued in, but seeing a lot of the people I follow on, on Twitter and a lot of the people I watch on YouTube that have kind of grown to know some sources, I've been hearing a lot of, of smoke that he's more interested in going back to the club level and that even if there was a contract offer on the table he might not take it now barring a semifinal run something like that then i think we're looking at something totally different but if i had to bet money right now i would say maybe even before maybe even oh gosh i don't even i don't even know but i i think in the next few months we're going to see greg burhalter will not be returning as us manager
0: Okay, that's news to Okay, I guess let me let me rephrase let me rephrase the question to what I intended to say. Having gotten the US out of the group, would you have confidence in the national team under his leadership for a second World Cup
1: cycle? My answer is still no, but I'm lower on Greg Berhalter than most people are. Um I think a lot of his tactics don't fit the way we should be playing and I think a lot of his player selection is questionable. You have the MLS quota still alive and well, you know, although not today with, with a lot of the MLS guys on the bench, but just still make some questionable decisions. I still don't necessarily think he's the guy to lead us to the promised land. So if it were up to me, it would still be a no.
0: All right. Thanks, Ed, for derailing my exit out of this podcast by just saying, <laughs> yes, we all have confidence in Greg Baralder. Um, Sean, y- your thoughts on that? Um, I have felt that Greg is a better club coach than he is a national team coach but I, I guess one has he done enough to where you would back him in a second world cup support um and then two just in general um you know your thoughts on sh- would the u.s uh, you know who who should the u.s go after if ultimately either party decides that you know now's a convenient time for to leave and just be happy with the result
2: um man that's a loaded question i don't know about <laughs> who they should go after i think you got to Get through the rest of this World Cup and see if there's anyone that you might fancy that that could possibly go for it. I don't know if Jesse Marsh is that guy either. I know he's going to be the guy that everybody's going to say, let's go after him. Um, he's also a system guy. You know, we Everybody apparently has a problem with system guys, because that's what Greg is. I would counter to that and say that if there was ever a time, let's say the U.S. does make it past Netherlands, and makes it to the quarterfinals. I think that contract will be offered, and I think he will really think about it. And if you're going to look at it, the U.S. doesn't have to qualify, right? They're the hope. My votes. So if there was ever a time where you could say you could develop a club system for that next four years, and it's more to Greg's liking and whatever. Yes, I agree with Ed that do we have problems with player choice and player decisions and who you bring to the team every time and all that stuff? Yeah. But with what you're looking ahead at and what potential tournaments that they could be in, they could do the same thing like Qatar, right? They could go and be in Copa America. They could go and and ask to be part of a European qualifying group. And they're not really in it. They could do a lot of things. And Greg's already gotten this far. Why not see what he does when he has full freedom to kind of pick and choose who they play and all that kind of stuff and what tournaments they could be in? I think that could possibly be enticing to Greg as well, but I think if they, you know, don't perform well in this round of sixteen game, or or Greg just kind of feels like he's exhausted by it all, he may not take it and move on and pick someone else. I think it's going to be. A, I don't know that it's a automatic grab for him because I wonder if there's going to be some bigger name coach that says, "Hey." They got this far. and Look at this talent that's going to be hitting their prime, and and they're the hosts of the next World Cup. That could draw some big names that I want to, you know, possibly say, oh, I'm the one that took them to the big win.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. We are U.S. soccer, and we have to underperform with our golden generation, so we're proud to announce that Roberto Martinez is the new head coach oh of the United States national team. I'm clearly being sarcastic, listeners, just so we're clear as Ed shakes his head in <laughs> absolute disgust. Um, so I guess the to answer my own question – I've seen enough from Greg Berhalter to where I have confidence with another four years with these players. I think the biggest thing that I have is the players believe in Greg. That's the biggest thing. And I think that they are playing for him. So that's the biggest thing for me. I would be totally fine with him coming back. Um, And I think if it doesn't come back, it has to be Greg saying, you know what? I'm burnt out. I want to go be a club coach, in which case I don't think there's any bad blood in how all of those parties end up parting ways. And I think the, you know, to your point, Sean, about how, you know, there's no immediate things that we have to deal with. I think we could, is Dave Sarakin doing something? We could bring him back and be okay in Nations League next year if we really wanted to and take a whole nother year to sort out a head coaching search or wait for, I don't know, wait for Leeds United to blow up in time to go get Jesse Marsh would be ideal. For me, I don't know that he's leaving the club game, and I think he's going to get leads to stay in it. Stay is to not get relegated and stay in the Premier League. So that would be my. Dream scenario out of this, but if it's Berhalter again, I can tolerate his mercurial decisions about personnel and the timing of it because he knows these players in and out. He knows this national team, and he's now proven that he can navigate, you know, a very tricky situation in terms of the World Cup. So that gives me confidence, and most importantly, I'm confident that the U.S. is a stylistically a good matchup for the Netherlands. And you know, Christian Pulisic's test to text to Weston McKenney is anything to go on. I think they're going to be rare and to go for Saturday, and they're going to go give they're gonna go give the uh, the orange army hell and if that happens then I'll be proud no matter what the result is and if nothing else we've taken a step back to where we are as a as a soccer nation when it comes to the men's game anything else we want to say here folks or shall we get out of here boys
1: I was just gonna say we need a manager who's good with bounce passes I think that should be priority number one is make because Greg's only done it one time in this World Cup which I think came this game. It happened this game. I'm pretty sure that was the first time. So we just got to make sure that like Jesse Marsh is going to have to practice his bounce passes before we can even consider it.
0: Yeah. And then maybe also have to fire the set pieces head coach because set pieces <laughs> coach because I've been woefully disappointed with what those go going on. Sean, anything you want to say or shall we get out of here?
2: Yeah, that's fire the set piece coach. And again, please let's stop having close Take the corners. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Yes. Okay. You know
2: what? I I just want to say that whether they win or lose against Netherlands, uh, it's been super awesome to watch this team grow, mature, and play well. And I'm just excited what we can see in twenty twenty six already.
0: I, I completely agree uh, on that note folks uh, if you like what you heard check out all of our content you can find us at lastwordonsports.com backslash football follow us on all the socials at lastwordsc rate, review, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and shout out to our sponsors Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves Roughneck Scarves are an official scarf supplier of US soccer merchandise get all of that content including custom scarves at roughneckscarves.com and Icarus FC creates fantastic custom kits of your dreams their motto is any design you want seriously so if you're supporting a national team that magically wants some new kits because you'll be wearing a plain white training kit against a team that's wearing all orange on saturday morning check them out at icarusfc.com um listeners we'll see you this weekend after hopefully you know another rousing round of world cup stuff and another usmnt world cup performance that we can be proud of regardless of the result we'll see you then